Welcome to another deep dive episode of the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. This is where we will dig deeper into the content from Sunday's sermon, consider even more ways of thinking about the Bible and how to live it, and encourage one another to follow Jesus more closely together. I'm your host, Will Barlow. Let's dive in. Welcome to another Deep Dive podcast at the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. My name is Will Barlow, and I'll be hosting again today. This past week, something really interesting happened to me. As I was preparing my sermon, I reached out to my good friend, Victor Glucken, and we realized that we were preaching on very similar topics this Sunday. Uh, We're in a series, of course, on the Exodus. Uh, His series is not on the Exodus, as you'll find out, and yet we were still on the same Sunday, preaching very similar things about trials and temptation and about the difficulties that we face in this life um, as Christians, even as followers of Christ, how things can be difficult. And so what I want to do is I want to start this deep dive podcast with an interview. I reached out to Victor and asked him if he'd be willing to sit down with me. And sure enough, he said yes. So we're going to start with this interview that I recorded with Pastor Victor Glucken. Uh, talking about the similarities between what we talked about this past Sunday and and really diving deep into this idea of trouble, of uh, tribulation, uh, persecution, temptation, some of these various issues and challenges that we deal with in Christian life and how we think about them as pastors as well. Victor shared a lot of his pastoral experience uh, thinking about these things, thinking about helping people going through difficult situations. So, What I'm going to do is I'm going to share this interview that I recorded with Pastor Victor Glucken. And then if you stick around to the end, I'll share about uh, 15 or 20 minutes or so maybe of some other thoughts I had about this sermon and this topic. So uh, let's go to the interview with Victor. Today I have a special treat for all of you out there. I'm having the opportunity to interview my good friend and... Uh, fellow pastor, Victor Glucken. So Victor, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, man. Big fan of Compass Christian Church. Well, we're big fans and of living you, man. <laughs> it's very thanks. kind. It's very kind. Uh, well, many people in my church, you know, I've, I've mentioned them. Uh, I've told them to go listen to your sermon podcast and um, told them that, that you are you are can't miss listening pretty much week after week and uh but not everyone knows you know much about you your background so why don't you start there tell us a little bit about your story uh how you came to the lord and uh what led you to be a pastor and all that stuff thank you yeah uh i was raised in a christian home was not a christian along the way went through the motions you know do as much as i could to get my family off my back but you know be a relative good person. Um, you know, lived a very worldly life, sinful life, not in the dramatic Hollywood sense of, wow, what a story about how mm. depraved he was. But, you know, just ego, selfishness, pride, deceit, lust, 
uh, and a lot of success and popularity. And so it was like a pretty bad situation because I looked really good on the outside. So um, when I went to college, I hit a wall because I wasn't, you know, some uh, popular, successful person anymore. I was in this big pond now where there were a lot of people that, you know, they were all successful and you're just average and not so special. And really what it was, it was God using that to humble me mm. because I knew for sure one thing, two things growing up that God loved me and I could pray. And those two realities saved my life because I knew that when I hit rock bottom of depression and just real despair of, of, you know, who I was being stripped away and all the things I was standing on being sand and not, you know, a good foundation. I knew I could pray. And I did. I said, God, help me. And something like that in my dorm room, you know, one night. And he started to turn my life around and change things and give me a hunger for him and forgave me. And yeah, it just set me on a new path of wanting to read the Bible, study the Bible. And that was like a real turning point. And then, um, you know, different stages. I feel like we probably all have like Hmm. our conversion story and then like a bunch of conversions after that in sure. and levels and stuff. So, you know, other, other things have happened since then to bring me where I am today, as far as, you know, my relationship with God, um, through a bunch of twists and turns, I, I end up in Rhode Island, moved here to help, um, you know, serve and pastor at this church. And that was 19 years ago. And, um, my wife and I got married right before, you know, right before we moved here. My wife, Jess, we've been married literally two weeks short of our time in Rhode Island. We got married, went on our honeymoon and moved to Rhode Island. Three kids, great church family. Um, and um, went to a conference of 2019, met Will Barlow, um, <laughs> really uh, connected right away. And I feel like, you know, just having, it's so important to have like good people in your life that will listen to you and, you know, tell you the truth and be a good sounding board. And, um, you know, so I'm thankful for how our friendship has developed in that. And um, yeah, so we pastor a church called Living Faith Christian Church in Warwick, Rhode Island. And um I love, I love it. Love being here. Wonderful church, hunger for God. Great, great people. Everybody's welcome to come visit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. I've been, I've been to your church, uh, not on Sunday, I don't think ever, but I have been to your church during the week. Uh, so that, that's, that's fun. I'd, I'd love to come on a Sunday sometime. Maybe we'll take a yeah. trip up there and visit. That'd be sure. great. Come on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. We we met in 2019 at Converge, and that was a ton of fun. And uh, it seemed like it, it. I was, you know, always just trying to be like respectful of the people, especially the people that have, like the volunteer shirt on. You had a volunteer shirt on. Our friend Sean Finnegan had a volunteer shirt on. Uh, my buddy Jerry was running the whole thing and was like running around taking care of business all the time. And I was just trying to stay out of people's way and just you know pray for people and do stuff like that. And it just seemed like we always we always just ended up in the same spot. It happened like three or four different times mm. and uh, with nothing else going on. And so we just sort of slowly got to know each other through Converge and then uh, sort of became pen pals and then started talking on the phone. And 
and then things things have changed since I became a pastor and now I call you in the week and ask if uh, if what I'm preaching on Sunday makes sense or not and <laughs> we'll get to that in a second though uh, I get too far ahead of myself uh, so like you said you're a full-time pastor you've been a full-time pastor for a while uh, I'm preaching a series on Exodus right now which you know because um, you've been following along with us but you are not preaching a sermon series on Exodus what are you what are you preaching a sermon series on right now yeah, um, on on New Year's Eve, which was a Sunday this past year, we had um, we've kind of had a tradition of like ending the year with testimonies, you know, either ending or beginning the first Sunday with testimonies. And um, so we had these amazing testimonies of, you know, like full conversions and then some of just like how God would, had worked in, you know, ways in the last year. And I really felt like. um maturing and maturity was kind of where we needed to focus as a church like you know really good but things are really good and god's working and there's hunger and growth but you know what what's the growth that matters like the stuff on the inside and growing in holiness and becoming more like jesus being a disciple and um i honestly had no clue where to go from there like how like how do we do that how do we talk about maturity and um so i i i taught on the parable of the sower the first Sunday I preached in January and I I've preached the parable of the sower a bunch of times. Cause I think it's a great text for not just like someone hearing the gospel for the first time and how it'll, you know, how they'll respond, but right. for discipleship in general, I think it's something you can go back. Like I never, I never outgrow my need to watch out for how the devil might be working. I never grow out my outgrow my need for, you know, watching out for trouble or for the pleasure of this life. I want to be fruitful. So I, there's been a few times when I've started the year looking at the parable of the sower. And as I was working on, it, I was like, you know, I want to like, I want to dig in a little bit more. I don't want to rush. I don't want to just do it and then move on to the next thing. And as I was working on it, I felt like, um, let's, let's, let's look at each of these soils slowly and however long it might take. You know, right. I don't have like a, I don't have like, oh, I'm going to be done by this week. I'm, you know, it's like taking it week by week. Do we want to keep talking about this? So did one week of a summary on the parable of the sower. Then we did three weeks on the seed that fell beside the road. Just talking about Satan and the devil and spiritual warfare and evil and how to, how he works, how to combat that. And then uh, last week was my first week talking about the seed that fell amongst stony ground. And Jesus says that that's, you know, three things, affliction, persecution because of the word. And then Luke says temptation. And so it's this idea of like the troubles in life are designed or could affect us being fruitful. And they will be like decision points of, are we going to hold fast to the Lord? Are we going to push through? Are we going to go to God for help? Or are these the things that are going to cause someone who in Jesus's words receives the word with joy, but is only temporary? You know what what's going to happen when troubles come so that's that's uh we're in the middle of the series on the parable of the sower and that's where we're at right now yeah and I, I, thought, I thought it was so interesting i like i said we've been we've been working through the theme of exodus sort of tracing the different stops along the exodus route and then relating it to our lives because in many ways i think our lives do as christians follow the path of exodus so we've been we've been sort of doing that and and, and we are you know we're right now we just well, this last week did Exodus, the end of Exodus 15. 
to the beginning of Exodus 17, which are the three tests or three trials that happen with uh, water, food, and then water again, water from a rock. And um, what was so interesting is that basically I called you on Friday morning being like, hey, what do you think about testing, temptation, uh, time and chance, like these different ways, these different things that happen to us in life. And you're like, well, bro, I'm preaching on basically the same thing Sunday, just from a different perspective. So it's it's cool yeah. that, that God was working in it and that we can even have this conversation the week after both these sermons, because um, I listened to your sermon. I know you listened to mine. and I thought there was a lot of overlap in what yeah. we had been working on. Um, and, and then things that we connected with on Friday that I think helped me clarify some things and 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 change my direction a little bit and help help me improve what I what I taught on on Sunday. Um, yeah. So let's let's leap forward from that idea. You know, you you just talked about, you know, persecution, affliction, trials, temptation, trouble. Uh, what what are the differences? I know, you know, I'm going to send people out to listen to the full sermon, but just, you know, in a nutshell, what's the difference between all those things? That's a good question. I think before I try to answer your question, I think trying to identify what's the difference between affliction and trouble um, can be really hard sometimes. Like I, yeah. I, when I go through affliction, it's a time of trouble and there's been times of, you know, limited persecution that feels like affliction. And, you know, so in a sense, like there's, there's a lot of similarities. Trouble mm -hmm. is the word I use to like define the whole umbrella of affliction, persecution, temptation. Um, I think persecution specifically is distinct in scripture because it's specifically targeting stopping the movement of the gospel, right. stopping the speaking of it, the spreading of it, limiting Christians ability to do what God has called us to do, whether it's, you know, shut down us from worshiping or outlaw such and such. So I think persecution is a little distinct in that it's specifically targeting, you know, um, the gospel and, you know, faith. Yeah. Um, I think affliction is just, you know, pain, distress. You look up the word even in the regular dictionary, not even thinking it from a theological point of view. Um, temptation is presenting us with a choice to choose God's way or choose sin. Right. And then trouble is just, you know, like I said, all there's a lot of overlap there. Um, I think that these are sometimes those things can be times of testing where we are seeing what we're made of. Um, sometimes it can be just, you know, um, things are being stripped away in our lives during those times. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think that I think I've spent a good a good portion of my life trying to figure out, well, which one am I experiencing right now? Right. Yeah. I think there might be some value to that. I think if I'm dealing with like spiritual, like demonic attack versus um, just trouble because we live in a fallen world, like, you know, or, or consequences of something I did wrong last week and I'm dealing with it now, like there might be a different approach you take, but in a lot of ways there's not. Mm -hmm. God help me. God, I need you. God remind me that you you love me, you know, so um, I think there is difference uh, 
if we really boil it down. But I, I think we can also get lost in like trying to figure out what's what. Am I going through a trial right now? Am I going through a test? Am I going through a temptation? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're exactly right. I, you know, I, we were looking at Exodus, end of Exodus 15 to Exodus, beginning of Exodus 17. And, you know, the Bible explicitly says that God is testing his people in the first two of those accounts. And, you know, passing those tests looks pretty basic. It looks like just listening to what God is doing and coming to him in faith and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and, and so the point that I was making on Sunday is that, you know, they're at, let's say level one of faith and God needs them to be at like level six or seven at faith just to enter the promised land. And like, he wants this generation to enter the promised land and, and he wants them to experience all the blessings that he has for them. And, and, you know, they're at level one and they pretty much stay at level one <laughs> throughout those yeah. three, those three trials. And, um, you know, so when, when we think about like God testing, you know, I, I know in our, we both grew up in a, in a somewhat similar church background and we, we would not have been, I don't think I would not have been comfortable using the terminology that God tests people until, you know, probably five or six years ago, maybe. And I'm sure for you, it was probably a little bit further back in time. Um, but, but nonetheless, you know, we didn't grow up being comfortable with this idea of God testing mm. us. Um, yeah. but, but I think, I think the point, especially the point that's made in Exodus is that these people needed to develop. And it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, if you're a, if you're an athlete and you know, like if, if you're an athlete and you know, you're going to be trying out for a basketball team, like, let's say you're in high school, you're an athlete, you're trying out for the basketball team. And, you know, you have a parent that used to play basketball that knows a lot about basketball, right? If, you, if your parent knows, like, you don't have the skills right now to make the team, mm. what kind of good parent are you if you go out for 15 minutes a day and you work with your kid and you're like, I see the deficiencies, but I'm not going to help them get it any better. I'm not going to tell them they should mm. be practicing more. I'm just going to tell them what they want to mm. hear. Oh, you're doing great, sweetie. Uh, you're doing a wonderful job. Like, you're going to be mm -hmm. great. Well, then what you're doing is you're setting your kid up for, you know, they show up, you know, freshman year tryouts and what's going to happen to them. They're yeah. going to get cut. They're going to be one of the first yeah. people cut. Yeah. Because they're not even close. They're not even in the realm of where they need to be. Or if you want to use the example of like a, like a music teacher who is working with a kid playing piano or something, and they've got a recital coming up. And what good is it if your piano teacher tells you that your half speed version of the piano song you're playing is going to be good enough for recital? Like it just, if it's not up to speed, if it's not ready, it's just not ready. Um, and so telling these lies or not encouraging people to do better, uh, not coaching them up, you know, that's leading people into failure. And, um, so I think when we think about God testing us, I think it's, it's more along those lines of like encouragement development. It's for our good. It's, it's to help us achieve the things that he wants us to, to achieve. Um, yeah. not to say that God can't bring good out of persecution or God can't bring good out of temptation or God can't bring good out of uh, affliction or whatever, all, all the different types of trouble. I think God can redeem these terrible situations that happen. Um, but, you know, the, the cause question, like you said, the cause question is sometimes murky. The source question is sometimes murky. And especially when we're in the middle of it, when there's all of our emotional uh, baggage that goes along with that. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, we see through a glass darkly and we know that. So, um, so I think it's helpful. Yeah, it's funny, your advice is helpful. It's funny you picked the basketball example. My son, who's nine, is playing basketball right now. He's really good. Literally, we have our neighbors, like when we see our neighbors, they're like, your son is amazing. Like he just, 
all he wants to do is stay outside and shoot hoops. That's great. And he plays against his, you know, almost 42 year old out of shape, overweight dad. And he's, you know, he's, he's making some moves, <laughs> but he's, he started playing for the town uh, league and, you know, five on five is very different than one-on-one. -on -one. Oh, for sure. And yeah. five on five with a bunch of kids who want to be there versus gym class where you have to be there or, you know, the intramural right. after school that, Oh, let's all try basketball is very different. And he's, he's struggled. He's really struggled with his confidence playing and so uh, my wife's a teacher. And so we have access to like go to the gym, which is like a dream come true to be able to like go into a gym anytime I want and play basketball. Yeah. So we've been going like on the weekends and um, we've been going through things that I've observed as he's played the game to help him. And I'm so for him. I want yes. him to excel. And I know he is. I know he has the skills that are bigger than what he's putting out there on the floor. Cause a lot of it's confidence. He doesn't know these other kids, you know? Totally. So, yeah. so we go and we go to the gym and we work on things that I know are going to help him, but it's things that he doesn't immediately see are going to help him like communicating. Hey, when someone's in trouble, I want you to clap your hands and say, help, help. I'm here to help. Right. Cause right now what he's doing is you stand on the other side of the court waving. And I'm like, right. bro, you look like the queen of England, not a basketball <laughs> player. Let's go. Come on. So we make it fun and joke around and I incentivize it and stuff, but yeah. He hates those drills. He yeah. wants to play basketball, right? But I know, and, you know, the bigger picture. And um, I try to communicate to him. But, like, he's been implementing some of these things in the games, and he's he's getting better. And, um, you know, and so, yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. But he doesn't see the big picture. And I think, I think when it comes to trials and tests – I'm at the point in my Christian life where I recognize that the trials I've experienced have been the source of the greatest growth in my relationship with God. Right. I wish it wasn't true. Yeah. I wish it was a worship night at the crescendo of the best song and the final song and some inspirational sermon that changed my life. Right. Those help my life and maybe like prepare me, but it's been through difficulty. It's been through yeah. trouble in my marriage. It's been through loss when my father died it's been through yeah. you know conflict in the church you know and and again i would prefer it not to be those things but i think any any of us could say yeah i mean not in the middle of it like when it starts i'm not like oh god's doing something here great no i'm like god why this thing yeah but you know you live enough life and you go all right god you're teaching me things and um you know so i become grateful for that and mm. knowing that I'm living in a broken world and one day everything's going to be made right. Yeah. Um, and I think for Israel, I loved in, in your message and in the text, I feel like in the text that you shared on Sunday, like 15 through 17, they had just come out of slavery and Egypt yeah. and saw like some big picture. God is amazing. Thanks. Right. The sun doesn't shine. The <laughs> The, yeah. You know, the gnats and the frogs, you know, overtake, you know, the most powerful nation in the world. The river turns to blood. Like all these things are like, whoa, this is our God. Wow. You know, look what he's doing. He's delivering us. But the but the trials they experience in 15 through 17. Are very personal. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Water. Right. Food. Yep. I think what God's saying 
we have the luxury of not living it, but reading it after the fact. I think exactly. God's saying like, hey, you can trust me in these big deal things. Like I'm going to redeem you and spare your firstborn child and watch the sea stand up. Ready, everybody? I mean, big picture. Yahweh is God. The battle of the gods. He wins undefeated. All right. What about your food? What about your daily necessities? What about these small things? Are you going to trust me in that? Right. And I think yeah. he uses these tests to take them deeper into faith, deeper into relationship. Yahweh isn't just the God of the big. He's the God of the small. And how do I know that? Well, I was one of those people that said, I'm going to keep enough manna for Saturday. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. wow, it worked out. Yeah. And the ones that didn't, who it didn't work out for, they learned from that. And oh. so I think that, I think, you know, that trial test word, you know, bothers us. It, I, and I understand and going through it is difficult. But I think what we see from that passage that you shared is that God is just teaching them about who he is and mm -hmm. saying, will you trust me with the small things, not just the big things? Will you trust me, you know, in the good times and bad? He's going to do that. The full, the whole story of Exodus and the Bible, obviously. Right. Yeah. Uh, those are, those are totally great points. One, one of the points I really appreciate from, from your sermon is that there's a, an advantage to having a biblical expectation for life. And so that's mm -hmm. my that's my next question for you is what should a Christian expect in life? Should we should we expect for Jesus to pave the way and for there to be zero obstacles and zero challenges for us the rest of our life? Wouldn't that be nice? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that the New Testament in a lot of places talks about trials and suffering mm. um in this life i'm gonna make a few uh distinguishing you know i'm gonna distinguish a few things persecution is something jesus says his followers will experience they hated mm -hmm. me they'll hate you right because we're christian right the parable of the sower says like persecution because of the word mm -hmm. so we deal with persecution um, persecution is evidence that we're Christians and it stinks, but that's why he says like, Hey, rejoice. Cause that means you're doing it right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about being persecuted because you're mean, you know, and you're smacking people with Bibles that you deserve, you know, someone being right. upset about them. Yeah. But persecution, you know, and, uh, Peter says like anyone suffers as a Christian, you should rejoice in that. Um, temptation. We live in an evil world. The devil is trying to, you know, pull us from God. Um, he's at war against us. He's putting temptations before us. The system that he is running is putting temptations before us. So we should be mindful of that and choose God and lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. Mm -hmm. um, then there are spiritual attacks. Okay. The forces of evil from Revelation 12, 17, it says that the devil has declared war against those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. I'm one of those people. And so I'm susceptible to spiritual attack. But then there's like, we live in a broken fallen world. Right. And I get sick and I shoveled my driveway yesterday and my back hurts a little bit right now. Yeah. Um, and there are germs and there are mean people on the highway and, um, you know, um, 
businesses that close and we lose we lose our job or we you know make a wrong choice in an investment you know what i mean so like we go through difficulty just because the world's broken mm-hmm. and we suffer for that reason so i think i think the bible port you know portrays a few different ways that we experience these things and um as a christian we have a hope and a perspective that gives us drive and the spirit gives us power and the name of jesus is frightens demons and um people get healed when you pray and you should ask you know god's favor when you're making decisions and you know god blesses his people in tiny ways like small little blessings and big huge blessings so yes I'm not trying to paint a picture of like, oh man, the world's terrible and we're all going to die. <laughs> right. But the yeah. world's terrible and I guess they're all going to die eventually. <laughs> but, but as a Christian, like the worldview changes, we're, mm-hmm. you know, and it really does. And God is present with us through this. And I love being a Christian. My life is so good because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you read the new Testament, if you're a disciple of Jesus, we're going to develop that. We're going to have difficulty in this life. And, um, but God with us through the whole thing, Mm -hmm. your, your section in Exodus, it's a test, but what is the test? I'm sorry. Angelic food outside in the morning (laughs) that I have to go get. And it tastes like frosted flakes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Come on, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, yes, even in the test, there's like a blessing there, you know? And, um, so yeah. What do you think? Yeah, what's your, I, what's your theology on suffering and do we yeah, have trouble? With totally. We, I mean, again, in our context that we grew up in, we would, you know, we, we focused a lot on the more than abundant life and what does that mean? And we tended to view that as somewhat, at least including materialistic. I won't say it was completely materialistic, but it was somewhat materialistic that, you know, God's going to bless you in all these different categories. And I think there was a temptation and I'm not saying I don't want to brush with, you know, paint with too broad a brush, but there was a temptation to when bad things happened for people to say, oh, well, you, you just need to get your faith up. You know, your faith's just not up. You know, you're getting attacked or this is happening or that's happening. But, you know, your faith, your faith just isn't there. And I, I think, um, you know, on the other hand, you look at Paul, who had incredible faith and faced incredible challenges throughout his ministry. It was like the the more on fire he was for God, the more that he got attacked and the more that things happened to him. And and sure, like he did make, I, in my book, and I know there's debate on this, but I think he did make a mistake going to Jerusalem and that that did lead him to him being put in prison. And, you know, that's years lost that God didn't want him in prison, I think. You know, that's my take on that whole end of Acts section. But, um, you know, I, I think generally speaking, Paul was was on it and he was on fire for God and he was doing exactly what the Lord Jesus wanted him to do. And and yet he still faced this incredible, these incredible obstacles. And and that's really what started changing my theology of suffering and my theology of what a Christian life should look like. Um, I started to think about instead of being so happy about how easy my life had been, I started to get worried, you know, like maybe, maybe my life has been too easy and that's a problem, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think, and I think, you know, I think that there's, there's wisdom on both. I'm not, you know, we shouldn't, I don't think we should be gluttons for punishment, you know, but at the yeah. same time, like you said, the Bible explicitly tells us to rejoice in tribulation and rejoice in certain, when certain things happen to us. 
again, for the gospel's sake, if you're if you're sinning and <laughs> something happens as a result of that, then you know that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story. Well, and I think I think, bro, the reason why I spent time on Sunday and I I called that section of my sermon the promise of trouble. Yes. Uh huh. And the reason I said that is because for a new Christian, if they hear, hey, your life's going to get better when you follow Jesus. Hey, you're going to have peace, joy, forgiveness, community, mm. family, prayers answered. Um, and that's all they know. They're they're set up to have their faith shipwrecked as soon as some difficulty comes. Totally. Yeah. But if they hear, you know, like Jesus says, those that follow me will receive in this life, you know, homes and lands and, you know, family and all the rest, along with persecution and in the end, eternal life. Like that's the well-rounded picture. Right. That's the, that's the picture of Jesus. And um, I think that my objective is to just have people expect what is expected from scripture. And um, you know, I use the phrase like, there's going to be moments in my life where I'm going to be like, Jesus said there'd be days like this. Okay. You know what I mean? And then when it happens, right? So when I was talking about like spiritual warfare uh, for three weeks, man, the devil did not like being exposed. Mm. And there was like a moment in my, in my house after I had preached one of these sermons where man, things just like got turned upside down and like there was conflict and like it got chaotic and it was like, Whoa, where is this all coming from? Well, guess what? I, I was prepared for, you know, the devil to try to mess with my family. You know why? Mm -hmm. Cause I had just been all week thinking about how that's what he wants to do. And so I was able to approach it rather than like, wow, so-and-so is having a bad day. Jeez. And take it personal. I'm like, no, this right. is, we got to, we're going to deal with this in prayer. Jesus Lord in this. You know what I mean? I was able to respond and have victory because I knew what to expect. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then the next day we didn't have that same sort of thing happen, but I still was, you know, just keep my eyes open. I think, I think that's important. So I, I agree with you. Like I've tended in my Christian life to work in extremes mm -hmm. to focus on like how God can bless me. And then to focus on like, Oh, is suffering. And then to, you know, swing back. But I think that nice middle place where Jesus is, is being a Christian is amazing and difficult and the kingdom's coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think all of that's encapsulated so beautifully in what I call uh, one of the greatest promises of our Lord. And I, I usually sort of say that tongue in cheek, John 16, 33, I said these things to you that in me, you may have peace, you know, full stop. That's where we want to stop. Right. Yep. But no, and then it keeps on going in the world. You will have tribulation. Okay. You could stop again there if you wanted to. Okay. Yep. That's, there's the promise. You're going to have tribulation. But then the end of the verse is, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So we do have both. We do have both. Yeah. We have incredible blessings. Um, you know, I was thinking about like, how would a new a new person or an outsider have heard either one of our sermons? And it's like, yeah, there are obstacles in life. There are these problems in life. But people that are not Christian face this stuff all the time, too. People, people yes. who are not Christian face, uh, you know, uh, people in their lives dying too young. They face... Uh, incredible uh, emotional uh, challenges because their boyfriend or girlfriend was uh, cheating on them or, you know, all the, all the great, you know, uh, awful things that can happen in life. Mm -hmm. All these people experiencing it, experience all that stuff too. Um, 
And they experience all that stuff without God, without Jesus, without peace, without joy. Um, you know, and so I think I think that there's, you know, there's there's plenty of time to understand that that our lives are going to be full of obstacles and and temptation and and different ways that we can get off track. But we also, like you said, have a ton that we can uh, hold on to, like the power of the spirit and and the fact yeah. that we can be prepared mentally for these attacks to come. And um, the fact that we yeah. know that God is good and that God loves us and he always wants our, uh, us to have the best. And yeah. and so there's a lot there's a lot on both. And, and so it's like you said, it's hard to focus on on being in the middle instead of being at one of the two extremes. Yeah. That's and a, you that's can't say you can't say everything you believe all the time. Like if you're Absolutely. doing a sermon on yeah. suffering. Right. That doesn't mean you don't believe in, you know, healing or victory. You know, and if you, or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you do a sermon on healing, that doesn't mean you don't believe in, in suffering or you're focusing on faith and believing. Yeah. And it's like, oh, what do you, you know, what about works? Well, and then you do something right. on works and someone's going to go, well, don't you believe in faith? But, you know, we can't say <laughs> yeah. everything we believe all the time. And, totally. it, you know, it's. Is one day at a time as a disciple. What does the Lord have for me today? And getting it all together that way. Yeah. Another great aspect I thought of your sermon was, you know, we've been talking about how the source is not always known. We don't always know what the source of something is. Um, but then you gave an example. I thought that was a really good example about sickness where, uh, and would you just explain a little bit about what you said about sickness, the different sources of things in sickness? Yeah, so my point about source uh, is in light of affliction, persecution, temptation, trouble, the trials, etc. Um, how we don't always know the source mm -hmm. of where these things are coming from. We just don't. And we might think we know this, or but like we don't always know. And my example with that, like with sickness, was if you get sick, why did you get sick? Mm -hmm. All right. In the Bible, there are cases where a sickness is caused by a demon. Mm -hmm. So are you sick because it's a spiritual attack? Well, maybe. Um, sometimes you can get sick because of consequences of, of sin. Mm -hmm. Right. If I, uh, the, I think the example I use, if I smoke four packs of cigarettes a day and then wonder why I'm having, you know, lung issues later in life, that is probably there's a straight line we can draw between those two things. If I eat right. a dozen donuts later today, um, I'm not going to feel well, you know, right. and, and I got a lot of examples like that, right. You know, so why am I sick? Well, because it might be a consequence of sin, right? If I lived a very sinful promiscuous life or alcohol before I turned to Christ, you know, I, I might have physical ramifications of that, even though I've forgiven and head into totally. glory. And then sometimes I'm sick because I live in a fallen world that has germs and sickness and death. So why am I sick? Is it persecution or is it is it spiritual attack? Is it sin? Is it because I live in a fallen world? I don't always know. Right. Um, I, I think the same can be said about, you know, um, go, having a hard week. Right. Is, is because you know, I'm having a very difficult trying week. Is it because of a spiritual attack? It could be. Is it because of persecution? Your boss is upset because you won't, you know, cheat or be dishonest for them and they're not right. giving you the assignments or the jobs. Could you be having a trying week because of persecution? Of course. It could be because of consequences of your sin. You know, you you said something mean to someone and 
now it's affecting your week or you, right. you know, whatever. There, there's a bunch of examples we could think about. Or it could be just because there's general trouble in life. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the bridge main bridges in Rhode Island is shut down because of, you know, bad uh, structural integrity. Mm-hmm. It's causing all sorts of havoc for people. But that's just because we live in a world that, you know, bridges don't last forever and ever. So a trying week, relational conflict, sickness, we don't always know the source. Sometimes we do. I don't think it's bad to try to sort out the source. But I think my point is, in many ways, my reaction is the same. If this is a spiritual attack, I need to go to God. If this is persecution, I need to run to God. If this is you know, uh, because of my sin or consequences of sinners around me, I need to run to God. And if it's general trouble in my life, I should go to God. God, help right. me. I, you know, I want to obey Jesus. I want to trust you. I want to keep worshiping. I want to keep praising. And I, I want to spend less time wondering whether it's a test, a trial, a temptation or persecution and more time. Mm-hmm. God, how am I responding? Mm-hmm. Am I running to you? I want to spend more time about how am I responding and less time preoccupied by where is this coming from? Um, yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, that's, I feel like this, I think, yeah. I think we're talking about like maturity, Christian yeah, maturity. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when you're in the middle of the moment, it's, it's like the first thing you want to do is ask like, what is this? Like you want to yeah. identify it. You know, it's like uh, we become in that moment, like amateur biologists. We like want to classify it. <laughs> and put it in the right family and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, we want to, we want to know if I'm, am I, what kind of species of thing am I dealing with? Um, and I think, I think to your point, a lot, some of that is helpful. I mean, it is your prayer might be slightly different if it's a spiritual attack or if it's yes, something else, uh, you know, but, but regardless, you know, the, the point is we go to God, we go to God, we go to God in faith. Uh, you know, the big, the big problem in Exodus 15 through 17, um, wasn't even that the Israelites didn't know to go to Moses or to go to God. They knew to go to Moses, which essentially was going to God. The problem was their attitude in going to God. They didn't go to God in faith. They go to they go to God grumbling and complaining and with violence in their in their on their minds, you know. And um and that's a problem. You know, we we go to God, but we go to God in with respect and with awe and with worship, with with praise, with trust and confidence. Um and so I think I think that's the huge the biggest lesson that we can take from I think this whole discussion is that that's that should be our response when we face these types of things and you know I think I think when you have emotional distance and time and perspective on these things sometimes God will show you later on yeah. um, you know what was going on I, I know in the in in one of the greatest uh, distressing seasons of my life. Um, I know that I was not able to comprehend what was going on in the moment. And it took me months to even get from, from like a survival perspective. Like it took me Mm. months to even get back to like Mm. normal adult functioning Mm. um, in terms of sleep and in terms of all the other aspects of Mm. life. Um, And so it, it probably took me years to fully like think back on it and, in the moment I was blaming God in the moment I was like, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? And now I look back and I'm like, thanks God. Thanks for taking me out of that situation. That was a bad situation. Um, and so, you know, I think in the moment, sometimes we think it's, uh, 
you know, persecution or we think it's something bad. And then in hindsight, we can say, oh, well, actually, that was good. That was probably God. And that was good. I'm glad that God did that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not the case every single time, but that that certainly can can happen. So, yeah, um, I, I'm not suggesting that we don't. You know, that that Christian maturity is don't ask, why is this happening? Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, you know, that's not. I think I think some of us might you know be like, all right, well, I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to trust God. Sometimes like these things are really painful. Absolutely. And really confusing and devastating and hurtful and stuff like that. And I think that I think saying God, why or God, what or God, how or God help. That's what that's those are great responses Totally. Men and women of faith. You know why? Because every one of those things I started with God, comma, help, God, comma, how, whatever, I'm going to him. Like mm-hmm. having a doubt, having questions, not understanding something and going to God is really important. And mm-hmm. it's not, you know, have a, what's the phrase? Like a stiff upper lip, right? Yeah. Is that the phrase like, you know, don't just, you know, suck it up. You're a Christian. Don't. Right. No. My point is we don't always know. Exactly. I I went through something a couple of years ago uh, where it was very clear that I wasn't supposed to get on a plane. And the plane was flying to one of my dearest friend's wedding that I was officiating. Hmm. And it was like obstacle after obstacle and challenge after challenge. And, And it finally I finally came to the conclusion of I don't think I'm supposed to get on this plane. Now, you know what that means? I'm not coming to his wedding and performing the wedding. Think about like how big of a deal that is, right? Yeah. And I was sure that plane was going to crash, man. <laughs> right? Wouldn't that make right. sense of the yeah. whole thing? Like, why yeah. is why is this? You know, one of my kids broke their legs. Another kid starts throwing up. We got this. Like, the car won't start. I mean, like literally every obstacle to stop me from getting on this plane is happening. So of course the plane's going to crash, and that's why I shouldn't go. Well, the plane didn't crash. It got there. Right. I still don't understand that. Yeah. I still don't understand that, you know, and that was a very difficult trying situation and pain was, co- I mean, you know, how do you explain that? To, it was very difficult. I don't know why that happened. Right. Uh, and I still ask God occasionally, but I'm like, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust, you know, that you got the big picture and it's not because he's like this, you know, over controlling father who's vindictive and, you <laughs> right. know, yeah. uh, you know, we're all puppets on strings, but yeah, we don't always understand. And when we don't, we we still look to God and worship and praise and obey. That's, totally, that's yeah. my objective. We don't yeah. when we don't know the source. Yeah, it's not like God's not big enough for our negative emotions or something. Like maybe we Ugh. grew up with parents that had a hard time with our negative emotions, or you know, I know I have a hard time sometimes with my kids' negative emotions. I'm like, I have to slow down and be like, okay, it's okay for them to feel anger. It's okay for them to be frustrated. And I don't have to take that upon myself or take that as a judgment on myself, right? As a parent um, or get, and get angry in response or something like that. So it's not, you know, God is a a million times better father than we are as, as yeah. good fathers we try to be. Yeah. And uh, so it's not like he's, he's too big, you know, that, that our emotions are too big for him or something like that. We can, yeah. we can go to him and ask those hard questions. And, but to your point, you know, it's, he's not under any obligation to uh, pull back the veil and show us what's going on in the heavenlies where he has perspective. 
Uh, sometimes he does, and some, and that's wonderful when he does. But um, you know, some of this stuff may have to wait until the future for us to fully understand. And um, who knows? He may leave some questions unanswered. I, he's under no obligation to answer all of our questions, even in eternity. You know, it's not like there's yeah. a promise in the word that says, you know, hey, he's he's going to unveil everything. You know, at the end of the time. And I think that's easy to say to someone else. Yes, hundred percent. Right. 100%. So it's so easy to be like, look, we don't understand it all. And maybe one day yeah. we will and eternity, it all makes sense. But it's hard when it's you, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. um, but I think we do get little glimpses of what God is doing sometimes in, in, in good things too. Um, mm-hmm. Can I, can I share one more story? A- about absolutely. Positive? Yeah. Uh, I was, I witnessed to a guy many, many years ago and um, at a roller skating rink in New York in the parking lot. And I was sure this guy was going to come to church the next day. I mean, he responded <laughs> to the gospel and like it was it was maybe like the best experience i had as far as like evangelism evangelism at the time and mm. and so i waited for the guy the next day it was like a saturday night i waited for him the next day and um he was uh from russia originally and um and he didn't come mm. you know and, and he didn't come to church he didn't come the next week and i'm sure this is before like you know texting is widespread and you know, I'm searching for him on Facebook, or whatever. And that was it. And, um, you know, I looked for a couple of weeks and then finally just figured, I guess he wasn't coming. And I was so sure, you know, that he had responded and, but I just didn't see it. And then you forget about it. And then you assume, okay, they didn't. No joke. I want to say a year, maybe two years later, I now live in Georgia. And I get a phone call from my friend who says, Victor, I just met somebody and he's a Christian and he's like excited about God. And it was really encouraging for me. And I asked him, you know, when did you become a Christian? Like, how did you get so on fire? And he told me that he was in the parking lot of a skating rink and a kid (laughs) named Victor talked to me about Christ. And it was you. And I'm like, was it, was he Russian? You know? And he's like, yes, he was like, it was that, that I'll never forget that because you know what? I didn't see the reason why and the full story. Um, and I don't see most of them, but in this one, like God gave me a little glimpse of like, Hey man, it's not about you and what mm. you see. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some, God was gracious to give me that testimony because it mm. fuels me now when I'm talking to someone and I don't see how they respond because I don't know. And maybe they're like the Russian kid, but, um, sometimes yeah. we see and understand. And a lot of times we don't. And, uh, I just want to keep staying faithful to God who's so good and worthy of it. Totally. Totally. Here, here, we'll, we'll sort of end on a hard, on a hard note here. Yeah. At the end of the day. And I I talked about this on Sunday a little bit, you know, we're not going to solve all the problems, this problem of suffering, the problem of pain. is probably the most difficult question that we have to deal with as a pastor. Uh, How do you, when you, when you come across some difficult situation in your church, someone comes to you and they're like, Hey, my blah, 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 you know, my kid's sick, or I'm dealing with this kind of persecution at work or, whatever the case is, you know, how do you handle these situations and the questions that inevitably come out of this? Like what is going on? Why is this happening? That sort of thing. Yeah, man, that's a great question. Like I said before, like it's easy to say to someone else, but it's harder to say ourselves. And sometimes it's really hard to say it's someone else, mm-hmm. you know, someone that's hurting. It, it can be so trite to be like, well, God's going to work it out in the end or some tragedy happened. And you're like, well, good's going to come out. Like, don't say that to me on the day the tragedy happens. Please totally. do not totally. say that. Yeah. Don't come anywhere near that for a bit. Just don't say anything. 
if mm -hmm. I just lost a loved one, like just just come to my house and and yeah, don't say anything. Maybe Sit with you know me. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Sit with me, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, I think I say a lot. I don't know, mm -hmm. and I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And as much as I know that all Christians, especially like in pastoral roles, like we're like trying to help people know what God says about a situation. I don't, you know, we don't always know what this, what's going on in the situation. Um, mm. So in the immediate moment, you want to just love someone, care mm -hmm. for someone, pray for an opportunity to speak truth, point them to the hope, the kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, I also think like when it's not a tragedy, doing what we're doing right now, where we're like, securing and strengthening the foundation mm -hmm. is important you know because yeah. it's hard to do that when we're crying about yeah. loss yeah totally um but it's it's you know comfort one another with these words and that stuff in the new testament is not just for funerals like we should talk about that when things are good mm -hmm. um but so i don't try to if i don't know something i'm not going to pretend that i do mm -hmm. like let's not do that let's let's say i don't really know i don't really understand but I do know that we can talk about God and his character and his love and him being with us. A lot of content on how he's with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, trying to, to be there to, to help the person through this suffering, through the trial, and then be there afterwards when it's getting a little better. And that's when you have some deeper, um, conversations. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean that's like a big part of it. There's there's probably more we could talk about too, but that that's a big totally. part of it. Um don't don't try to fix it. Yeah. Um don't try to be trite. Mm. Just love someone, listen to them, feel their pain. I find myself like you know as I've experienced suffering in my life and difficulty and trial, sometimes when you talk about what you've been through, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I lost, you know, I lost my father at a young age. Yeah. Um, the first funeral I ever did was for my wife's 16 year old cousin mm. who got in a car accident. Um, you know, and I know what that pain feels like. And it's it's really it's it's terrible. You know what I mean? Mm. I know what it's yeah. like for a loved one to have like an incurable disease and for, you know, pregnancies to fail and things like that. And and so, like, if you can not pretend that you know what they're going through, but and not pretend that they're going through the same thing you are, but just know that the pain is real. Like that's, that's yeah. how you, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And, um, but at the same time, you don't have to experience every form of suffering to help someone. Totally. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, Oh, I've never been a drug addict, so I can't help someone with that. No, God will work through you. Love them. Pray a lot while you're in the room. Um, so, uh, yeah, th those are thoughts that come to mind. Give me some help yeah. here. What else do you got? <laughs> no, I think everything you said is great. Uh, I don't, I can't add too much to it other than to say that, you know, for anything that we can say, you know, I think about the problem of evil and, you know, my mind, I'm a science guy. I tend to go to like apologetics immediately. I'm like, I'm in a conversation mm. with an atheist and they're like, you know, how can X happen? doesn't matter what X is. We could, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, war or, you know, babies dying young of cancer or whatever, whatever X you want to make X, you know, why can X happen if a, a good God like you believe in exists? And I think what's interesting about that question is that, you know, the story of the Bible is not a story of uh, 
everything is great for everyone who comes to faith. It's not a story of uh, you just make this one decision to follow Jesus and the rest of your life is figured out. Yeah. It's a story of triumph and tragedy. It's a story of victory and sometimes loss. And um, there was a preacher one time who did a really interesting sermon on on Stephen and about how that was a defeat for the body of Christ and how, uh, but how good eventually came out of that with Paul. And um, that that preacher was Victor Gluckman. Um, <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like we live we live in a world where all the whatever you want to say X is, whatever the worst thing imaginable you think the X is, X happens. That's a fact that happens in the world. You know, all these things, terrible things happen every day. The question is, is it better to live in a world or to have a worldview where all of that happens and there's that's it. That's that's mm. the end of the story. The end of the story is war. The end of the story mm. is defeat. The end of the story is people dying super young and that mm. never get a chance to live or is the greater story that yes, it is broken now, but it's going to get fixed. It's going to be restored and that there's this restoration coming and that when that comes, um, the eternal joy and the eternal mm. uh, wholeness and peace uh, and the love and all the things that are experienced in, in the, in eternity vastly outweighs the trials and the temptations and the sufferings and the persecutions and all things in life. And in fact, that's exactly what Paul says in second Corinthians, as he says, um, that eternal weight of glory outweighs all of those things. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's what I look to. Um, and again, that's not something you say day one. That's not something you say day one. That's not even something you necessarily say day 31 or a hundred and one, but hopefully they get there. Hopefully you help that person yeah. get there. And if that person is you, hopefully you get there too. So, yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Having hope doesn't mean that things only are good all the time or that things right. get better right away. Totally. Um, what's interesting is on that new year's Eve service where we had testimony, mm. we had a woman come for the first time to church that day. And, you know, she's hearing story after story of like, here's what God did. And this prayer was answered and this loss turned into a beautiful thing, et cetera. Yep. And she was just broken up. I spoke mm. to her afterwards and a few people were trying to minister to her, help her, listen to her. So when, when it was my turn to like meet her and talk to her, you know, she quickly told me about what brought her there that day. Mm. It's, it was, mm -hmm. a, it was the worst week of her life. Mm. Um, you know, relationships falling apart, just everything just yeah. upside down. And she said that she called a, um, a crisis helpline and you know and you know and i asked her you know she was like was it suicidal she just said i didn't want to i didn't want to end my life i just i couldn't see living my life and I, mm. I called them and they asked me are you suicidal she said no and they said okay well you know we're going to help you and we want you to take a, a deep breath and uh you know she did and whatever and, and there might be some physical benefits to taking deep breaths and stuff like that i need to do that too. sure but she looked at me and without any script that she was reading from, just the overflow of her heart, she looked at me. She said, there's got to be more than just taking a deep breath. Yeah. And I said, you know what? You heard today in these testimonies of what people experienced. And a lot of the testimonies were about like people in hard times seeing God work. And I said, I know you're looking at these stories right now. You're hearing the end of the story. And so it seems like really far away. Mm. But they were where you were and there is something more than just a deep breath mm. it's a god who loves you and is for you and wants to help you and 
um, who you can have a relationship right now in spite mm. of all that's going on. There's more than just taking a deep breath. But that's what the world is offering. Right. Take a deep breath or try this or do this. And it and it it doesn't fix really the thing in the soul and um in our mm. heart. And and so I just saw what a contrast of this girl on day one, mm-hmm. day zero. Right. And these people testifying what God had done. Well, this woman now, we had a prayer meeting uh last week, and when I opened up for public prayer, she prayed. Hmm. You know what I mean? She's already moving along because she's okay, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna, you know, work hmm. through. Uh, and and she's hearing that, yeah, there are difficult times associated with life and even being a Christian. But she's she's going to God. Yeah. She doesn't understand the source of all these things and why she ended up where she is. She's trying to understand that, figure it out. But she knows regardless of the source of the problem or why these things are happening. God is the, is the one she's going to, and God is the one that's reaching out to her. Mm, that's powerful. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. She's on her road to Exodus, as we've been talking that's about. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this one up, Victor? Um, to Christians. Okay not every difficult thing is a tragedy. Like we kind of like, we mm-hmm. talked a lot about tragedy and stuff and like the worst things, but there's a lot that's not tragedy, just hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to pretend everything's good mm-hmm. if things aren't good. Yep. Like let's be, a, let's be that kind of church, right? Where you can, when you're going through, you're having a really bad day rather than going, I don't want to go to fellowship tonight because it's, you know, I just, I, I don't want to see people. You go, no, I do. Because mm-hmm. I want to see these people who help me. So mm-hmm. don't pretend you don't have to pretend everything's good. And in light of the Exodus story, last thing I'll say is sometimes the difficult things that we go through um are the things we need to go through. Yeah. You know, because like the way forward is the way through these things. And when the when the first generation got to the Jordan River and they saw what was over on the other side in Canaan. They saw the giants and the big cities and the walls mm-hmm. and all these terrible things, you know, these things and the good, but they saw those things and they, and they were afraid. And God was like, I'm going to be with you. Like, yes, we do need to go and face these things, but I'm going to be with you. Let's, we're going to do this together. You're not going to be on your own. I'm going to fight for you. Mm-hmm. But it was too much for them. And they said, no, they said, I don't want to go to that place. And so they wandered around for 40 years and God still loved them and provided manna even, you know, and it's not, I'm not saying it's like an, you know, like a salvation picture fully. Right. But I think a lot of Christians have those like Jordan bank moments where mm-hmm. God is like, Hey, I want to take you to this new place, but like, we got to go, we got to like deal with this thing in your heart right now, or in yep. this light in your, we want to come clean and be honest about this thing right now. And a lot of people go, no, it's too painful. Right. Yeah. It's too hard. It's going to be too much work. And and they're like, I just can't do it. Even though God's like, I'm going to be with you. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be pain. Yes, it's giant, but I'm going to be with you. And they wander around. They, they choose not to do that. And they wander around and they, they're in circles and they don't grow and they don't, right. you know, they're the same they've been. And I just want to, I don't want to be, I want to go with where God's leading, even if it's mm. difficult. And I know yeah. that sounds like I'm super courageous and I'm not, but I just, I don't want to wander in circles. And so you know, yeah. sometimes the hard times are things that God's saying, hey, let's deal with this now. It's time to deal with this issue, this anger, this sin. Totally. And it's hard, but um, if he's leading the way, I want to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. I think 
um, I've been thinking a lot about community. You know, we're, we're building a new church, you know, planting a new church. We've been at it for a little over a year now. And, you know, we always think about community and you, you do Christian community for encouragement. And we usually think of that as like, oh, well, I go and I feel good. And we sing songs together and I get my hugs and I get my, you know, God bless yous and my smiles. And I get that, that, you know, quota of like happy interactions for the week. And then I can even go to a tough job and like deal with the angry, you know, messed up people at work or whatever. But like community is meant to be also, it it is meant to be encouraging. I'm not trying to diminish that, but it is also meant to be as, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, a refining fire where like I'm going through a problem and I don't say, Victor, everything's good. I say, Victor, I'm going through a problem right now. I need your help. Can you help me? Um, I know that there have been times in my life where things would have gotten better, faster for me if I had just been open and honest with people. And again, that doesn't solve all the problems in the world. It does not solve all the problems. But but the, the, the point that you made about like show up to fellowship even when you don't feel great, even when you are feeling down, even when you're dealing with a sin or dealing with something that, you know, conscious is nagging you about or whatever the case might be go to church, go to fellowship, be around other Christians. Uh, don't be afraid of God's reproof and correction for you and help for you in those moments. Don't think that you're too um, big to be uh, talked to or reproved. Don't think that your uh, problems make you less loved or mm-hmm. deserve less mercy and grace from God or from your community. We need to be building communities that can handle, just like God can handle our big, big negative emotions or big negative moments. We need to be building communities that can handle these big negative things too. Um, yeah. So when you're, should... when you're struggling, like those are the nights you don't want to pray when there's mm-hmm. open prayer. Yeah. Can you imagine if someone had the courage to say a prayer that was like, God, I, the last thing I want to do right now is pray, but I know it's right. I'm coming to you. That the whole room would change. Totally. 100%. The whole, like yeah. every single person in there would say, yeah, that's what, that's me. Right. Or, you know, we would put down the facade and, and, you know, yeah. the one that really should pray that won't just pray like, God, oh, thank you for this wonderful day. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and sometimes it's like you show up and you say, Hey, how are you? You're like, I'm not doing great. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Okay, yeah. fine. That's but, fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. 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 Amen. yeah. Hey, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, brother. I, I you, so man. appreciate your friendship and uh, think you guys are doing a wonderful job up there in Rhode Island and uh, look forward to when I can see you face to face again, brother. It'll be great. Stay, man. Keep up the good work. Well, there you have it. That was the interview with Pastor Victor Gluckin. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to write in and let me know what you think about this difficult problem the problem of evil or the problem of pain. I'll take some time now and pivot back to the sermon that I did last Sunday. There were a few more things that I wanted to talk about a little bit in this deep dive. The first thing I wanted to to point out just briefly here is that throughout this time in the wilderness, God had remarkable patience with those who disobeyed. Uh, He continued providing what they needed regardless of their response. And this reminds me, this this faithfulness through all the disobedience and uh, the continual grace and mercy that gets extended, uh, this, this whole thing reminds me of later times of trouble in the history of the people of Israel. Uh, they would continue to face problems due to their lack of obedience through many different periods of their history, 
Uh, one such example is the period of the judges. If you read the book of Judges, you'll see you know, periods that are great where there's a strong leader and things get reversed and times are good for a period of time. And then they get complacent in their walk with the Lord and they, they fall away into idolatry and into doing different things. And then trouble happens. They get, you know, taken over and, and persecution happens and that sort of a thing. And of course, that continual pattern happens through the time of the kings, especially after Solomon when Israel and Judah were split into two separate nations. You had times that were good, times that were bad. Israel, it was pretty much entirely bad, and that's why they went into captivity sooner. Judah, there were ups and downs. There were some good kings like Hezekiah and Josiah in there that turned things around for a period of time um, for the good, and then things got worse again. But eventually, even Judah gets taken into captivity. And I was thinking about this section in Jeremiah 23, which is talking about the promised Messiah and what, the, what, what God's going to do, how God's going to be faithful even when his people are in captivity. He's going to be faithful to fulfill his promises to his servant David. He's going to be faithful to fulfill the promise to Abraham. He's going to be faithful to, uh, to do the things that he said he's going to do. And so in Jeremiah 23, we're just going to read the first eight verses here. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil de deeds, declares Yahweh. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares Yahweh. Verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness, or Yahweh is our righteousness. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when they shall no longer say, As Yahweh lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but... As Yahweh lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. A couple interesting comments about this. Um, in the beginning of this passage, God is uh, speaking through Jeremiah, and he is saying that he is going to judge the evil leaders who led um, the people of God into captivity by their bad decisions, by the fact that they led them into idolatry, by the fact that they led them into greed and not taking care of the poor and all the other issues that the prophets point out through um, not just Jeremiah, but all the prophetic books uh, that we find at the end of what we call the Old Testament. God is saying that he will judge them, that he will take care of them um, by judging them. He is going to uh, bring everything that they did to naught. He's going to undo all the evil and all the wickedness. Okay, so there is, when we think about the kingdom of God, we talked about this last year in our sermon series on the kingdom. 
when when God comes, when when Christ comes uh, in the power of God, and He returns to Earth, and we start restoring the Earth, uh, there will be people. There will be people who are not happy with that, and these shepherds, these shepherds who led the flock of Israel poorly in this time, they will not be happy in the judgment. They will not receive a good judgment. They will receive death for what they've done, consequences for what they've done. And so God is just pointing out that um, that the leaders are going to be punished. These leaders who are leading poorly are going to be punished. Then in verse 3, it says that he's going to gather back his flock from all the countries where he's driven them and he'll bring them back in the fold and they'll be fruitful and multiply and that he will set shepherds over them to take care of them. Now, some will say, and I, I think this is true, that there is some some truth that this happened in this time frame, that there is sort of like an initial fulfillment, if you want to call it that, where um, they did get gathered back. Many of the people of God did get gathered back after that time of exile, and they were able to rebuild things. For example, in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were able to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild things. Um, they experienced periods in the, in the time between Malachi and Matthew, periods of greater autonomy as a nation um, and periods of less autonomy as a nation. But the, the point remains that there, there's this sort of uh, initial kind of fulfillment. But the fullness of this, the fullness of what, what God's talking about is going to happen when Jesus comes back. When Jesus is going to reign as a king and deal wisely, executing justice and righteousness in the land. That's verse 5. When that happens, people thought that might have been in the first coming of Jesus. But it's going to be fully, fully, fully fulfilled when Jesus comes back and when the kingdom of God is set up on earth. And so uh, it, what's interesting and where I was trying to get to is at the end of this passage, verse 7 talks about how people referred to Yahweh even in the time of Jeremiah as, as the Yahweh lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel of the house of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's verse 7. But that was going to change in Jeremiah, in, in this time of the branch, when the branch comes, that's, that now Yahweh will be known as the one who lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, that they shall dwell in their own land. Our final view of who Yahweh is, is going to be the one who reconciles everything, the one who restores everything. And that's why we, we mentioned this at the beginning of our series on Exodus, that we as Christians in this day and time, we view God as the God who sent his son. Uh, we view uh, Jesus as our Messiah and our King who loved us enough to die on the cross. That the, that the pivotal moment in history happened on that cross. And all the stuff that goes with that. There's his perfect life leading up to it. Uh, the things that he taught. The, things that, the way that he ministered to people. The way that he lived his life. Absolutely. The way that he gave up his life, absolutely. But the story doesn't end there. Of course, for Christians, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's resurrected, and that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that now he enjoys special rights and privileges as uh, the, ki the king, the king that sits beside the throne of, of Yahweh. And so um, Jeremiah, this record in Jeremiah, foreshadows how life will be different for people 
after Jesus comes, after the Messiah comes. And so he sort of foreshadows the time period that we live in now, where we look at God as the God who sent his son. Um, and we view the cross as the moment when things changed. Well, in the, even in the time of Jeremiah, which is hundreds of years after the Exodus, they were still talking about God as the God of the Exodus, the God who brought his people up out of the land of Egypt. So that's, that's sort of one, one aspect of this that I wanted to, to mention. Another thing that I wanted to, to mention about, uh, from, from the topic of this Sunday's sermon, beyond God's faithfulness, even in all the ups and downs in life, and of course Jeremiah experienced plenty of downs in his ministry and his life, I want to talk about one of the echoes that we didn't have time for. Originally, I'd put this in the sermon, and then I had to cut it for um, other things. Other things took precedence. Other things um, we needed to talk about more on Sunday. But one of the echoes of this record at Massa and Meribah, especially, is 1 Corinthians 10. And 1 Corinthians 10, from verses 1 to 13, it's talking about a lot of different aspects of the Exodus. Um, it talks about, you know, the crossing of the sea, and it talks about um, all the, all, a, lot of, a lot of the different events that happened in the course of the Exodus. And we're going to pick it up in verse 6, but I just want to point out before we start reading that there are a number of these records, and you can go back and read through Exodus, and you can read through uh, Numbers, um, and you can read through Deuteronomy, but especially Exodus and Numbers. You can read through um, all these different times when things went bad, where the, especially this first generation uh, didn't do things the right way. They didn't, they didn't treat God with trust and with faith, but rather um, they, they struggled with the relationship with God. And so I want to read 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 to 13, and then we'll talk about it for a little bit here. So 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now these things, and Paul, again, is talking about things that happened during the Exodus, especially with this first generation. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ, this is the ESV, the NASB has the Lord. We must not put the Lord to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So what Paul is saying is that the point of these passages in the Exodus narrative for us today is that we would learn from them, that we would uh, not desire evil as they did, that we must not be idolaters, that we must not indulge in sexual immorality, uh, that we should not grumble. It's interesting that he mentions sexual immorality here in a, a letter to the Corinthians, and he's already dealt with sexual immorality earlier in this letter. So he's sort of coming back to that as a touch point here again as well. 
I want to mention that that word, Lord, real quick, that word Christ, we must not put Christ to the test. There are three different textual um, readings of this. There are three different readings of this. There's the reading Christ, there's the reading Lord, and there's the reading God. And Look, the mainstream Trinitarian view on this is that the word Christ makes the best sense of the various texts. And I'm going to tell you that that is incredibly controversial. That's why even Trinitarian translations like the NASB have the reading Lord favored instead. So it's a very controversial thing. But I will say that the reading that can account for all three, Christ, Lord, and God. Remember, those are the three readings that we have in the ancient texts. There is, in my mind, there is only one, there's only one word that can account for all three of those things if we're not assuming Trinitarianism. And the only word that can account for those three is the word Lord. Because Lord, you could say Lord. Some people saw Lord and they said, oh, it's really talking about Christ. And later, you know, when the, after the time that the Trinity developed, People could have made that move. Lord could also get moved to God. That could happen as well. So I, I do really believe that Lord in the NASB is the right translation. I do believe Lord was the original reading. I do think that from a textual criticism perspective, the reason why the textual critics like Christ is because they have a Trinitarian frame. It's not because that's actually what the best evidence is. So I just want to make that little, since we're in a deep dive, want to make that little textual note there real quick. So all these different events that, that, that Paul refers to, and he sort of machine guns a couple of examples real quick. He goes boom, 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 boom. He's, he's jumping all across the Exodus narrative. The point of all of this is that we are, we are to learn from this as Christians. And there's a couple things that we can gather from this. Uh, we'll get to this in a second, but there's this idea that we, if we view our Christian walk as you know, mirroring the path of Exodus, that we are in the wilderness, that the, the fullness of being in the promised land, what that means is when Jesus Christ comes back the second time and that we enter into the kingdom of God, that that is the promised land. And so unlike the Israelites, it's not exactly our faith that makes the promised land available in our generation. <laughs> it's not like that. Um, that was the way it was for them. They could have entered the promised land in that first generation, but they had to wait. And so, um, anyway, so there are some things that are not quite paralleled, but the idea here is that Paul is essentially saying, you're in the wilderness, don't grumble, don't, don't get into sexual immorality, uh, don't desire evil, don't be idolaters, okay? So Paul is saying in the analogous way to the Exodus that we are in the wilderness. That's sort of the point that's being made here. And... We've been talking, I talked about on Sunday how God testing us is for our good always. It's to help us grow in our trust and our faith. It's to help us uh, meet the challenges that he sees in front of us, uh, to help us grow into a calling or into a ministry or into uh, something that we are going to be stepping into. And that temptation happens, that there are other things that happen, that there are spiritual attacks that happen, that there are... Um, it's time and chance. There's randomness that happens as well. There's all these different things that can happen. And so, um, so no matter if we're being temp tested by God, you know, to increase our trust in him, if we're being tempted by sin oh, and by the devil, 
or if we're experiencing a situation that just happens, um, the point the point that Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 10, the point that we read on that we heard on Sunday, is uh, that we can endure. We can endure because God has provided for us everything that we need, just like He provided for the Israelites everything that they needed in the wilderness. Um, he's provided for us even greater provision through Christ, through Christ. And I want to point out, I want to point out that the verse 13, the no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This verse, which is so familiar to many of us um, in, in our Compass community, uh, from our prior faith uh, tradition, this verse is in the context of Exodus stories falter, of faltering in the wilderness. I think it's very interesting. I think it provides new flavor, new color uh, to that specific verse. And notice here that Paul is not talking about specifically trials or tests that God performs, but rather temptation. He's sort of changed the context a little bit for us. He's changed the context for us. But the way I'm applying it is I'm saying no matter what happens in life, uh, God is faithful and he provides a way to escape. And sometimes that escape is a path through the waters when it doesn't look like there's a path at all. And sometimes that escape is waiting on the Lord and trusting on his provision for daily bread and for water. And sometimes uh, that, that, that provision is following the, the pillar of cloud uh, as you go from camp to camp. And, and the point in all of that is that when, as God is leading us and as we are following uh, the Lord Jesus and as we are doing the things that God wants us to do, that there will be provision, that God will show us the path and that he will make a way for us. And that that's not always easy. It's not always going to be an easy thing. It's not always going to be the thing that we want um, in the moment. Um, but it'll be... We know that if God is behind it, that is for our good always. It's for our good always. And we can trust in our Father's grace and mercy in all of that. So I, as we close this deep dive, I want to mention a couple of things briefly. Again, you know, we've been tracing this path of Exodus through the scriptures. We've been seeing um, how they, how God revealed himself to them, how he sent a prophet, how uh, he revealed himself through the plagues, how he led them to a decision that they had to make at Passover, how they made that decision successfully at Passover, that they were going to choose Yahweh and not the gods of Egypt. And then he made them a path through the sea and uh, led them through that dividing line experience. And now they're in the wilderness, they're experiencing freedom and they're in the wilderness, and God is providing for them through the wilderness, but not always in the way that they want to be provided for, not always on their timetable, um, but he is providing for them. He's being faithful to provide for them. And I think this mirrors our life considerably. We all have to hear the gospel from someplace outside of ourselves. God reveals himself to us. He sends someone to us to minister to us the gospel. To, and, and for some of us, that is um, you know, like a church leader, uh, some of that, some some of us, it was our parents. Some of us, it's a friend. Uh, for some of us, it's just a random person on the street who loved us enough to share the gospel with us. Whatever the case might be, God sent someone 
to tell us the good news of Jesus. But then at some point, um, you know, maybe God revealed himself to you. Maybe he uh, did something special for you. Um, I don't know if this always happens to everyone, but I feel like God does these things all the time where he reveals himself to us in these small personal ways that only we get. And then um, after he reveals himself to you and he, he asks you to leave your old life behind. And so you have to make a decision. You have to make that, that Passover kind of decision, that decision to follow Jesus. And then when you do so, you cross the dividing line. You, you get baptized um, or you receive the Spirit. And um, at that moment, you've crossed that dividing line in life. And so now, as we've seen from 1 Corinthians 10, we can view ourselves, those of us who've uh, committed to following Jesus, we are in our wilderness time. We are in our time of wilderness. We are waiting to enter the promised land of the kingdom of God. And so the question is, how are we going to persevere in the wilderness? How are we going to live this life in the wilderness? And I want to offer in conclusion here a couple of thoughts. And that is that, as, as I talked with, with, with Pastor Victor, life has ups and downs. We would love to experience life, I think, as a period of like going up a, a ramp slowly, you know, that we just slowly increase in faith over time and that we succeed in life, never really experiencing these lows, never really experiencing uh, radical, radical high moments, maybe even either, uh, but just sort of gently going up the path of life. And I'm here to tell you that that's just not how life goes. We, we experience moments of rapid growth, often after people are converted and they cross that dividing line into the new life, they're on fire for God and they see rapid growth and God's working in mighty ways in their life. And then sometimes people plateau for a little bit and sometimes then they face trials where they feel like they're going uh, down a slide and the, the, you know their faith is, is, is being tested and uh, they have to struggle through different situations in life. And then people uh, grow out of that. They grow uh, from those periods of testing and trial. And so all I'm here to say is, is that generally speaking, over the course of our life, we should be growing in our trust in God. And that's going to happen, this time of wilderness that we're living in right now, it's going to happen in the context of ups and downs. We're not just going to experience this nice little upward sloping ramp of life. We're going to face trials. We're going to face temptations. We're going to face uh, spiritual attacks. We're going to face persecution, perhaps. We're going to face all these different things. And of course, just the randomness of life. And really, the point is, we always come back to God. We always come back to God. We put our trust and our faith in him. And we trust in his provision that he's given to us through his son, Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us on this deep dive. I want to close by thanking Dave Tench for his musical contributions and Paula Ely for her help with design and editing. We'll catch you next time. Let's continue to follow Jesus together.